Well, as Emily mentioned, uh, I'm no stranger to this place, although I may be a stranger to some of you. I see some familiar faces, but I also see some new faces. Uh, so I did grow up here, and then at one point I was actually the night janitor uh, of this church, uh, among other things. But it's so good to be back, and um, nice to be welcomed here and be able to bring you uh, some of the word today. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus together um, in chapters three and four that you just had performed for you, uh, but I want to talk about inadequacy, something I'm experiencing right now, and perhaps some of you may be experiencing uh, in your life as well. I remember the moment when I felt most inadequate when it came to basketball. When I was in high school, thought I was getting pretty good at basketball, and I had this great opportunity at the end of my junior year to be the ball boy for the NCAA dunk contest practice. So... This is the peak of my basketball career, by the way. Might not look like it. I, don't, I know Charles Barkley was known when I was a kid as the round mound of rebound. I'm sort of now the round mound of staying on the ground. But uh, back then, I thought I was getting good at basketball, and so I, was, I, I went to be, be the ball boy at this event, and they were just practicing. So this, all of the people who are in the Final Four here in Indianapolis, down on Lawrence North, all of the Final Four guys, like Grant Hill and other people, I'm dating myself there if any basketball fans here, but they were playing but everybody else that was the best dunkers in college basketball around the country were together in my city and I was a ball boy. So you know what a ball boy might be doing, you know, go get the ball and just give it to the next guy. That was me. That was all I did, put it back on the rack, take it off the rack, that's it. But at one moment, as I was seeing all these amazing dunks and all this stuff happening, at one moment, I remember, and this is the part that just stuck with me, one of the guys who dunked was like, because it's different when you're in the stands than when you're standing on the floor. I saw one of the guy's basketball shoes at eye level as he was flying through the air. And at that moment, I realized I have no future in basketball. And I decided, I think I might go join the drama team. Uh, and so that was sort of changed the trajectory of my life, uh, or mostly it was just a realization of the truth. So that was me feeling inadequate. I didn't have what it takes to go to the next level. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever look at your situation, the challenges around you, the things that maybe it's a disease, an illness, maybe it's a relationship, a job, maybe it's your neighborhood, even your church, maybe it's the problems in the world around you, the causes you care about. Have you ever looked at those and felt inadequate? That's what we're talking about today, and we're going to talk about Moses, because he is one of these characters who so clearly felt inadequate in these passages. In fact, the reason we're here is we're in a series here at College Church called Beginning with Moses. It refers back to Luke 24, where on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appeared to two of his disciples, Jesus uh, uh, I just called Steve Jesus for a moment. I will never do that again. But Steve explained to us that this was uh, them going throughout all of the Bible and sharing, beginning with Moses and then through all of the prophets about himself. And here we have uh, beginning with Moses motif. So I know you've already talked a little bit about Moses, but I'm gonna rewind a little bit. 
because I want to emphasize something I talked with Steve about, about who Moses was and what he was like. I think we can all relate to Moses much more than many of you might think. You can turn, if you have a Bible, to Exodus chapter three. God says all those things and tells Moses what he wants him to do. And here in verse 11, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So Moses starts with the inadequacy that all of us start with, and that's a lack of confidence, a lack of confidence. He doesn't have self-confidence. And the beautiful thing is that grace overcomes our inadequacy of confidence with his amazing presence. So the, the key here is God is a bad counselor, a bad therapist. When, when Moses confesses his lack of confidence, what God doesn't do is he doesn't build him up at all. He doesn't encourage him. He doesn't say, hey, Moses, get out there. He doesn't give him a pep talk. He doesn't say, hey, Moses, you grew up in the palace with the Egyptians, and then you also grew up amongst the Hebrews, and you can speak Hebrew. You're sort of like bicultural. This is the good job for you. No, God doesn't do any of that. What he says is, I will be with you. I will be with you. And here's the thing. That's actually what Moses needed. It's what you need. It's what I need. When we have inadequate self-confidence, we actually just need to be reminded that God is with us. What we actually fear so often when we feel inadequate is that we're gonna be humiliated and alone. We think I'm gonna be out there and I'm gonna not do well and then I'm gonna feel lonely in my failure. And God is saying, I will be with you. God's presence is actually the grace that he provides that overcomes that lack of confidence. But Moses isn't done. You've probably seen several different places in scripture where people might have rejected the call of God or rebuffed the call of God. This is one of those, the unique time in the Bible. Five times Moses pushes back on God. Imagine doing that, right? Got a lot of guts. So Moses in verse 13 now, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father sent me. Who? And, and they ask, what's his name? What shall I tell them? Moses is having a little bit of a crisis of faith here. He has inadequate faith. He doesn't know who God is. And you gotta remember here, this is the God of your fathers, your ancestors. That's not really a name, right? That's more like just saying like, my great, 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 great grandpa used to go to that church. That's not really a personal testimony, by the way. And this is what it's like when Moses says this. Remember, they're in Egypt. And so in Egypt, they have all kinds of gods and they've got temples and pyramids and they've got all of this wonderful promotion of all their gods and priests and priestesses. They have great PR. They have great names. They've got amazing marketing for all of the gods of Egypt. So Moses knew those gods, but this God, the God that his ancestors worshiped, he doesn't even know this God's name. He has inadequate faith. And what God does here, he overcomes the inadequate faith of Moses and the inadequate faith that we have by revealing his character. He tells him a little who he is. He's already done this earlier in the passage when he says, 
I have seen the abuse of my people. I have heard their cries for help. I care about their suffering. We should pause for a minute and say, do you know that about God? Those three things, that God sees what's happening. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, is God paying attention to this? Is God seeing what's going on here? Have you ever wondered whether God was hearing the things you were praying, sometimes for years or decades? Have you ever wondered if God actually cared about what's going on? Well, God reveals to Moses his character, that his character is as a God who sees, who hears, who cares. But he goes farther. He says, okay, I'll give you. You ask for my name. And he does a cryptic thing. If, you, if you've ever, you may not have admitted to many people, but maybe you've wondered, like, I don't know how to explain the Trinity. Well, we come by it honestly, because in continuity, this is the same God that we worship as Christians, but we Christians got this sense of mystery about who God is from the God of the Hebrews. And the God of the Hebrews is very cryptic and mysterious about describing his own name. He doesn't even really give him a name. He says, I am who I am, or Yahweh, or it could be translated, I will be who I will be, or even I will do what I will do, or even a sense of I am the God or the one who endures. Now, all of those different ways to translate it, and there's like five others, that's because it's confusing. (laughs) What God says here is that he is mysterious, but he will do what he will do. He will be who he is. I am that I am. So, he overwhelms and overcomes the faith that is inadequate that Moses has with his, a glimpse of God's character. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on into the verse, first verse of the next chapter in four. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? So here, Moses is worried about his credibility. Have you ever been in that situation where you did something or you said something that you completely regretted? I'll confess, I do this all the time, where I will think of something I said yesterday in a meeting and I'll go, or I will even do this for something I said or did 10, 15, 20 years ago. I'll go, I'll I'll just be thinking to myself. Sometimes I'll even do it when I'm around another person and it's awkward. I'll be like, they're like, did you stub your toe or what's going on? This little thing when you're like, you know that has a word in the Bible? It's gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth. It's that sense of intense regret. And why do you have that? You have that because you looked stupid (laughs) or you felt stupid. (laughs) You're you're like, oh, back then I had all the confidence in the world. It's kind of like Bukowski said about the confidence point. Bukowski said that the problem with the world is that all of the intelligent people are full of doubt and all of the stupid people are full of confidence. It's the Dun and Kruver effect. This is the sense of which back then I was confident and I had all sorts of bravado and I did something stupid. And I feel like now what Moses is saying, I'm gonna do this. Remember, Moses has bad stuff in his past where he murdered a guy. He's like, I'm gonna look stupid again. He's worried about his credibility. And God overcomes through God's grace, his 
inadequate credibility concerns with something very interesting. He says, I am actually going to overcome this with my action. Did I get that right? The action of God. The grace of God overcomes his credibility gap. He's worried about his resume. He's worried about whether or not he'll be credible to other people. And God says, I'm gonna do these actions. I'm gonna actually show this. So what does he do? He has him throw his staff on the ground. He has him put his hand in his coat. It becomes a snake. His hand is all diseased. He gives him basically magic tricks to do. The point here is that God is not gonna suddenly make Moses have a better resume, have him be more credible. Instead, the point is that God's saying, I'm gonna do these things. When the river turns to blood, the Nile, it's not as though anybody thought Moses himself was capable of doing that. God is gonna get all the credit for these. The acts of God are, these are, the, these are really the most crazy miracles that ever happened in human history, 10 of them the plagues of Egypt, and God is going to do these things, not anybody else, and he's gonna get the entire credit for it. So this is what happened. God overcomes through his grace this inadequate credibility that he feels. If you feel that same way, if you're like, I just, I just, I'm gonna look stupid doing this, that, or the other thing, guess what? God's action is what's gonna do it. But Moses keeps complaining. He's, he's here in verse 10 of chapter four, Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. In the original here, he has a strange idiom he uses. He uses, I'm heavy mouthed and heavy tongued. So it almost makes you seem like he has a speech impediment perhaps. We're not sure about that, but it's almost like that's what's going on here. At minimum, he's just scared of public speaking, which one can imagine that, right? Jerry Seinfeld used to say, uh, the number one fear of people is public speaking. He says, the number two fear is death. He says, so that means at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than on the stage giving the eulogy. So this is Moses. He doesn't like public speaking. And he is afraid of doing this. This is a sense of inadequacy when it comes to his skills. He's like, I just don't have the skills. Do you have that? Would you admit that you just don't have certain skills? Don't tell your spouse what skills they don't have right now, but I know my, speaking of marriage, my, in my family, one of the things I am inadequate in is I am really bad at anything related to cars, car maintenance, fixing cars. I don't do my own oil changes. Sorry, men, I'm not a real man. And part of this is I just don't know how much about cars. Whereas my wife, she was raised by a race car driver. Literally her dad builds, maintains, and recruits other race car drivers to race for him and he races his own race car. So he's a race car driver. Imagine how I feel Thanksgiving. Well, in our family, when somebody has a car question or a car problem, who do they ask? Not me, they ask mom. I'm inadequate when it comes to that. So if God came and told me, that he wanted me to do something related to automobiles. I don't know what an internal combustion is. I'm not sure I can even pronounce that. Uh, I don't know where the carburetor is. I have no idea. So I would feel like I would have inadequate skills. And that's what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, okay, God, you're asking me to come and be your spokesperson. And I don't have the number one skill required to do it. It'd be like some of you that 
barely know how to turn on your iPad and somebody asks you to come be a computer programmer. This is the problem for Moses. And God has an interesting way of replying. For God, he actually says, who is it that gave you your mouth? Who is it that gave that mouth to you? He's pointing out that he is the creator. (laughs) So yeah, you don't have the skills, Moses, but that's okay because I'm the one who can actually make you say what you're gonna say and make them hear what they need to hear. In fact, some of you, this happens in sermons all the time. Have you ever heard, felt God tell you something in a sermon and God spoke some way and then you went and told Pastor Steve or somebody else, God really told me this through your sermon and they were like, I didn't say that. That's because God can actually make it so that you hear something that isn't even said. His inadequate skills are overcome by God's grace, overcome with this sense that God is actually going to create the solution to the problem. God's creativity is going to do it. I have an example of God's creativity. One of my friends named Sherry, she's a missionary in Papua New Guinea, halfway around the world. And I visited her and her husband there and I got to see their work. And she told me a story herself while I was there. She said, when I moved here, I really struggled with languages. She says, I couldn't understand language. She moved there, didn't know the language. That's actually often very typical of a missionary, by the way. You'll move to the country. And when you're immersed in the culture and get tutored by a person there, then you start learning the language. So this was not atypical. But she was struggling so hard to know the language. And she just told God, I feel like giving up on this. And so she just asked God, I want you to just, Give me the language. So she prayed on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. For six days, she prayed. And she woke up on Sunday morning and she could speak the language fluently. Now, this was not because she studied really hard that week. She prayed really hard. And God just gave it to her, gave her a tongue to speak to those people. She's there to this day, been there for decades. In fact, she's really became one of their best interpreters in that culture. So God's creativity shows up to overwhelm our sense of our lack of skills. And then Moses, one more time, says another objection. Again, this is his fifth one. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Now, did you notice this is the only point where God gets angry? Why? Why didn't he get angry the four times before when Moses was saying, "Uh, this isn't gonna work because of all these reasons? I think it's because in this one, Moses is just saying, yeah, uh, not me, not it, nose goes. He's like, I am not the guy. It's his will. His will is fighting with God. He's saying, I'm not willing. And I think that's where God, God gives Moses all kinds of patience and grace to answer four of his objections. But on this one, God's kind of like, okay, you're up to the line here, Moses. If you're just gonna disobey me. Have you ever had that where you felt like almost your will and God's will didn't seem to be on the same page? And saying like Jesus said, not my will, but your be done was like, I don't know, God, I feel like my will's pretty good. That's a dangerous spot to be in when God's leading you to do something. 
And so eventually God, uh, God of course says nothing angry to him. It just says that he got angry. So it's, I don't know if the burning bush kind of gave him a dirty look or what, but he, God got angry. But what he says to him is, hey, your brother is already on his way to meet you. And he will be, will help you with that heavy mouth and heavy tongue thing you just told me about. Well, what's interesting here is that God already set that up, right? That means that before God even spoke to Moses, Aaron is already on his way from Egypt. That's a long walk if you didn't know. Well, that's because God's providentially setting it all up. When we have an inadequate sense for ourselves of will, if we are just not willing, God still providentially is gonna make it happen. Here's the crazy thing. Have you ever wondered what would happen if Moses just didn't do it? We actually don't have any record in this passage of Moses saying, well, God, you talked me into it. Yes, here am I, send me Moses. We don't have any record of that. Eventually he went to Egypt. But what would have happened if Moses just straight up was like, yeah, you, uh, you send somebody else. His, his brother came, tried to talk him into it because God had talked to him too. And he said, nope, no, that's not for me. I'm a shepherd now. A couple, do you think the Israelites would be released from Egypt still? I do. I think God in his providence would still have done it. He might've used Aaron who was already on his way. He might've used somebody else that we don't know. But what would have happened two months later while Moses is out tending a sheep, maybe near this same mountain, he would have seen the entire people of Israel, all of the Hebrews, all his brothers and sisters and relatives, all marching out, following smoke and fire into the wilderness to be given the law. And Moses would have missed out. So, when we read this part about God being angry, I don't think we should be motivated to do what God is calling us to do because we don't want to disobey God or because we think he's going to be angry with us. In the end, I don't want you to miss out. Wouldn't it be sad for Moses to see that sitting on his staff, which never became a snake again, (laughs) and seeing that happen without him? I don't want you to be left out of what God might be doing. Is he calling you to something? Are you facing some kind of challenge? I'm here to tell you, you can do that. But here's the thing. Some of you are like, oh, I I wish I was more gung-ho and excited, Dave. Well, I'll give you a leave it a bonus one. It's actually a little bit later. It's right outside the passage. This is against the preaching rules, but I'm gonna go outside the passage to give you a little bonus. In verse uh, 18, Moses goes back to Jethro. This is after all that's happened with God. His father-in-law, he speaks to Jethro and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Great attitude, Moses. That's his idea. That's his sense of mission. It's not as though Moses had some big conversion by the burning bush and suddenly became Charleston Heston. I think I said that wrong. Charlton, Charleston, whatever. Nobody knows who he is anymore. But it's not like that happened. Moses was still the same guy. In fact, uh, here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me when I was a kid, there were these commercials for Dunkin' Donuts and the guy got up early in the morning. He's like, gotta make the donuts, right? 
That's Moses's attitude. Or it's like when I was a teenager and my dad like wanted me to move this stool over there. When, and whenever he would ask me to like do anything physical, I would get kind of like a mild paralysis. And then I'd be like, okay. And then I, he would complain that I wouldn't even use my arms, my God-given arms. I'd like use my foot. I'd be like, Okay. That's the kind of attitude it seems like Moses has. The beautiful thing though, is God still does it. It's not like Moses overnight becomes some charismatic dude. Why? Because of the providence of God for sure. But then also his attitude is overcome because of grace. It's overcome with God's persistence. I tell you what, God's got more time than you. He not only knows stuff you don't know, he's got more time than you. I'm pretty sure Jesus is gonna win. In the end, God's gonna get it done, even if you're not fully on board. So I'm just here to tell you, whatever it is you're facing, whatever fight you have ahead of you, whatever disease or challenge, whatever coworker, boss, employee, enemy in your life, whatever bad relationship there is, whatever tough course or study you're doing, God will persistently push through, even if you don't have the best attitude today and you're just gotta make the donuts oriented. 